So, uh, do you feel like you guys are ready to do this thing? I think so. so of course. I love that. I love. I love the optimism. I. It's, it's so weird <laughs> not sitting next to you guys. This, this yeah. is a whole new. It experience. really is. Uh, I, I don't even know what show this is. <laughs> oh, you don't have the number? I, I'm pretty sure it's one sixty uh, uh, five sixty four, but I am, I am absolutely not positive. I think, I think you're, you're right. right. I can tell you in two, two seconds. seconds. I have my tablet on. Okay. Yeah. Two seconds is all I need. Yeah, well, don't, don't hit, hit press, press. Don't, don't press play. Uh, no, I'm just going to the, the web page, which for whatever reason is loading slowly right now. <laughs> what oh, happened yeah. to two timing. seconds, Good Jeff? timing on that. There we go. That last one was 563 Red Ball, so this would be 564. 564, the new experiment. This is, uh, yeah, this, that, this was it. That's what you have to call it, 564, the new experiment. Oh, until, the, oh, sure, the or uh, or unless a better title comes up along the way, which uh, very possible. I'm throwing my hat in the ring. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, folks, to Geek Shock number 564. I am Master Torgo. 80s Jeff. Commander K. And we're here to talk Week and Geek in our new separated format. Virtual. Yes, this is this is <laughs> all being done studio. over the internet, and that's probably why it sounds weird. There's an echo I haven't been able to eliminate yet. Uh, hopefully that gets solved by next week's, but this week we're just going to have to live with it. Uh, one fun thing, though, is that you guys can't see when I'm hitting the record button anymore, so you have no idea how long I've been recording for this. But that's kind of uh -oh. nice. That is true. We we can we can relay all the 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 pre-show secrets that never get waylaid. Jeff, are you open no, another I'm package on. or something? Because you know that was me. me. Oh, okay. I, I am not I doing was, a thing. <laughs> I was adjusting uh, my pillow. Wow, that is the I'm noisiest sitting quietly pillow. in a corner. I, I, so th these are these are the growing pains that we have to do with the podcast, I, monkeys. I appreciate you uh, sticking with us during these growing pains. Hopefully, week by week, more uh, problems get solved and things get a lot better. Until Andy, Andy gets, gets involved, involved, then it'll be a catastrophe uh, all over again. Yes, that's why we're trying to stop chaos. We're trying to tamp out all these things first, and then we join Andy back in, and then. Yes, then liquids and electronics and everything goes great. So, gentlemen, what geeky things you do this week? Well, I watched The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air Reunion on HBO Max this week. Oh, wow. And boy, let me tell you, that was, uh, that was quite a, quite a behind-the-scenes look at them getting back together for the first time as a cast in 30 years. Yeah, I read about well, it, but like I didn't see it. It's really good. It's on HBO Max. It's only about an hour long, so I mean, it's like not super drawn out, but uh, it's got a lot of touching moments. Like, you know, there's definitely going to be a few, you know, I'm not crying, you're, you're crying moments while you watch it. So be prepared if you enjoyed the show watching it, because it's a, it's a whole new look at the stuff that went on to produce that show back in the, back in the 90s, so... Uh, but yeah, I had a really good time with that. Were you a big fan of, did you watch a lot of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, Jeff? Oh yeah, yeah I, I, I I loved uh, DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince when they first came out in the late 80s. And, uh, you know, when found out he was getting a TV show, I was like, oh, I'll check this out. And 
I just really enjoyed it. I mean, it has a good mix of comedy as well as uh, touching moments in the in the actual series itself. So it kind of makes sense that the documentary would kind of reflect that, especially since it's them all now much older and wiser looking back on the experience and kind of the way that they became a real family in real life as opposed to just a fake family on TV and then, you know, went their separate ways afterwards. So, Kirsten, I assume you were never a Fresh Prince fan. Um, I was never I was never dedicated like like uh, Jeff was. I it, I found episodes to be showstoppers for me, like if you're channel hopping and sometimes it was on, I would just stop and watch it. Uh, and I certainly respected uh, Will Smith's uh, success. So there was that interest. Uh, but I was never never an in-deep fan like, uh, like Jeff was. But reading up on this reunion, the mother and uh, Will Smith uh, talking it out was, uh, sounded very interesting. That was a tough part to watch because both of them had really not spoken at all in 27 years. And they basically told each other's stories from each other's point of view and and why things went wrong and you know you come to find out that she wasn't fired from the show they chose not to renew her contract and she revealed that you know part of the reason she was perceived as being difficult on the set at the time which was apparently the kiss of death in in hollywood if you're ever labeled difficult no more so than if you're a dark-skinned black woman as she says in the in the the interview there but um you know she said that ended her career when it was but uh apparently she was very isolated on the set she wasn't really talking to anybody because she didn't know who to trust because she was going through an abusive relationship at home while she was pregnant and you're just like sitting there and like will's like i didn't even know it's like i you know, and then, you know, he comes to, you know, she said, I just don't understand why you didn't stick up for me. And he he flat out revealed he's like, I was 21. I was young. I was stupid. And I saw everyone and everything is a threat. And it's, and it's not referenced in the documentary, but um, in an article I read separately, they said that um, some of the TV execs early in the series didn't since he had no formal acting training. Um, prior to the show, I mean, he got with an acting coach after the the show was um, picked up to pilot and struggled to try to, you know, hone the craft. So he did all the right things. But they said, you know, he's just a rapper. He'll never be a real actor, blah, blah, blah. And apparently there was a push to replace him with somebody else. Really? Um, yeah. And so I think that all was like kind of that that perfect storm of all these different things going on. They're trying to get rid of him. They didn't renew her contract. He saw, you know, the way she was acting as being a threat, et cetera. And, you know, it led to the two of them not speaking for 27 years, but uh, they've since smoke. reconciled and talked it out. And um, apparently they are now communicating again. This is way more interesting than I've ever found the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Yeah. Oh yeah, dude. Like I tell you, even if you never watch the show, watch the documentary. It's it's really interesting. In fact, uh, I don't know if you're aware, the original show was supposed to be kid and play. No, I that didn't the, know this. Kind of, oh my god. The concept was originally supposed to be kind of like a a house party, but for TV 
starring Kid in Play. Somebody said at uh, a party, this is Will Smith. He's pretty popular right now called The Fresh Prince. And he might be a good option for you to do this. And the, the rest is kind of history. They talk about it at the beginning. I don't want to give too much away because it's, it's a documentary worth watching, even if you're not a big fan of the series. Yeah, and where was this uh, reunion at? Where can you see it? It's on HBO Max. Okay. Um, I believe it was also going to air on HBO, but you can watch it at any time on HBO Max. Interesting. Wow. Kirsten, yeah. what did you do this week? Probably the big thing was uh, – <laughs> big thing. I watched um, – I watched uh, – Album by Duran Duran. Uh, very good, Jeff. Very, very good. Uh, the latest episode of Mandalorian. Which was interesting. Oh, so uh, good. Oh, that was so good. We played uh, Find the uh, Tech in the, the one scene, uh, Lewis and I, where we were trying to find that one tech who uh, ended up uh, being in the background of one shot. Ah, uh, yes. The, 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 oh, yeah. A, Stage a, crew. A, a production gaffe. Yeah. Yeah. Which is really funny because he actually fades into the background color-wise pretty well with his uh, what he was wearing. So you really do have to look for it, and it's really something that people people actually can spot that stuff. Pretty amazing, actually. I've been watching it each week, and I am up to date. Yes, Cthulhu Collector, I have been watching it. I haven't just watched the first episode. And it just really struck me that we have a Star Wars TV show, TV show that actually does the property justice. Because we, when we, I mean, it was years ago on Geek Shock that we announced that Lucasfilm was looking at doing a TV show about bounty hunters, and the, it was early process and. This is during the time of, you know, Sopranos was kind of the the height of television at the time. The television effects for something like Star Wars just was not there. No. And so yeah. that was the big fear. The technologies, that, I was going to say, it's, it's grown leaps and bounds in just the last 10 years. Hell, just the last five, it's gotten completely ridiculous what they can do. And I don't think there's been any more of a better example than this show. Because when you're watching it, it looks like Star Wars. You just just take pictures of it. Just look at still photographs of at any part of the show and go, oh yeah, this is Star Wars. They mm -hmm. it just they nailed it. They absolutely nailed it. It just wanted it, it just made my heart happy to just celebrate in the moment that even if it wasn't a good show, which it is, they 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 did it. They made Star Wars TV. Mm -hmm. I love that Dave Filoni and John Favreau, like one of their big points when they started the series was they were going to use as much practical effects as they could with the CG generated effects too. You've got a real model of the Razor Crest that they use for filming. In addition to the CG version, you have the virtual sets combined with partial built physical sets i mean it's just it's incredible so what else do you do Kirsten, besides watch an episode of mandalorian uh well someone actually sent me tasha's cauldron of everything which is a uh dnd fifth edition rules expansion that actually uh includes a lot of uh 
new rules uh, for the gang, which is actually really, really cool. A ah, whole bunch of new subclasses, new approaches to rules, things like that. And it's actually a pretty fun book. <laughs> not to be confused with Bill Maher's new rules. Yeah, no. definitely, definitely not to be. Yeah, and it's not titled that, Jeff. It's not titled <laughs> "New Rules," so no yeah. need to. Uh, okay, be confused. I will say, I've seen it on Amazon right now, discounted at thirty dollars. It's a fifty-dollar book, and as much as I say, support your local game store, especially in these times. <sighs> It is not a $50 book. Oh, it's less than 200 pages. It's good stuff. It's useful stuff. It's all new rules and, and integrated in the game. So it's not, it's not a uh, needless stuff, but it is not a $50 book. I will give that criticism. So if you can find it discounted, get it discounted. Wow. Well, I but, uh, yeah. buried myself in a little bit of Assassin's Creed Valhalla this week it's a uh, uh, ooh yeah gamefly's mm -hmm. been on it uh, for a while they've been sending me brand new titles i i sent back uh, watch dogs legion yeah that game just got really boring to me very quickly and very surprising because watch dogs 2 was fantastic uh 3 is just so scattershot that i just can't get into the story it, it's it's not personal. Yahtzee had a really good take on it on uh, the Escapist about the Watchdogs current the current version. Okay, it's, like it's what? What really was it? Funny. Yeah. Okay. What was his take? Uh, well, basically that it's just a it's a boring game that it loses your attention like right right off the bat. It's like you're not actually leveling up your character. You can just somehow adopt any character you want whenever you want and use their skill sets until you don't need them anymore. So you suddenly have all these disposable characters that give you, you know, no kind of connection. There's no emotional attachment to whether they are uh, successful at whatever they do, because you can then again just send in these drones to do everything and solve the problem. Yeah, pretty much. He's, that's, it, that's his, he's spot on. He and I are in agreement. And, uh, wow, it's a, and that it's makes a, the game sound interesting to me. <laughs> well, that's, that's it. It sounded great to me, too. It was when they announced it uh, during the big press conference that uh, Ubisoft threw out all their recent titles coming out. Here's where all the previews. That was the one that stood out the most. And so when I got a hold of it, I was very excited. But in practice, characters that you can switch to aren't personalities. They're just skill sets. And so when things happen to them yeah. or they there's no personal impact on the story because there's no one character the story is happening to. So everything just feels general. I will say London, uh, it, the game looks amazing. Uh, London recreation, that was fantastic having a nice little virtual tour of London for a while. But but that's uh, uh, the, the game just it, don't get me wrong. I enjoyed uh, what I played, but it just was not compelling. So now I've started Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Of course, that's the new Assassin's Creed dropped this week for PS4 and PS5. I am playing it on PS4. It does have quite a bit of a slow start to it. Odyssey had a little slow of a start too, but this one even more so. But not to the point where I'm like, uh, I'm bored, I'm just giving this up. Uh, one thing that Odyssey did in its opening, which was the last game in the series, the one that takes place in ancient Greece. 
it started you off an island on an island and kind of stole a story on that island. And then once you left that island, then the game opened up proper and then things spiraled open from there. Uh, this is kind of opening the same way, but it's taking a lot longer to do it than that first one did because it's starting in Norway uh, versus uh, just a small island. Uh, and I th another thing that goes against it, and, and I know this makes Kristen sad, but I just have never been into Vikings, and that's what this story is, is all Viking. Ooh. Damn Vikings! But that being said, I, I'm, I've not given up on it, of course. I am curious as to where this goes. It does a really good job of showing the Dark Ages a bit. That is kind of neat. And where it starts in Norway, uh, I, I'm not going to give the whole... Uh, story as to why I don't want to spoil anything yet, but you end up going to England and that's where the game starts properly. And once it got to England now, and the game opened up a bit more, I became more interested. Important, important question. question. Yes. Does, Does it, it show, show the Vikings, Vikings dedication to spam at all? No, no. I, I appreciate that okay. question. I appreciate it completely. Jeff. Okay. Uh, I will also be happy if somewhere in this game they hit an Easter egg of a spam can, but I have no proof that that has happened yet. Hmm. Uh, so as far as how I feel about it, it's really too early to tell, even though I've probably put in probably about 10 hours with the gameplay thus far, which is not small. But the first part that kind of introduces the story and all the characters, the, play, the part that takes place in Norway, that's, that's a good five to six hours of gameplay right there. It sounds almost like you're on like a one lane highway and you're just waiting for it to open up into the six lanes. Yeah. And that's kind of what it, when you went to England, then it's kind of like, okay, now the world is open, go do what you want. Although if you really want the world to open up, uh, do the story missions so that you can, uh, your character will be strong enough to handle the rest of the game. So, and the story missions, are not uninteresting. I've only done one major story mission since getting to England, and that was kind of a a mystery that you had to solve with a lot of detective-style clues. And so that's a little different for a Assassin's Creed game. And and I did enjoy that. It it's it certainly hasn't grabbed me emotionally yet. I have a feeling it will though. It's just taking a it's taking its time telling its story, which is fine. But there are points where I'm like, okay, can we move this on a little bit? I, I will say from the gameplay videos that I've watched online of Assassin's Creed Valhalla, it certainly looks the best of the ones I've seen so far. Oh, it's gorgeous. It's absolutely I don't stunning. know if that's your experience. No, it's stunning. It, it looks absolutely amazing. Uh, but kind of like with Odyssey and with the one that takes place in early, um, early America, America Revolution's time uh there is a lot of open land that you're kind of just running across that you're like this is really barren there's not a lot of things in here Th just to say thank goodness for fast travel that that fixes right. a lot of those issues and that you can call a horse anytime you need to because earlier games where i was happy to run from place to place because of the things you would see along the way uh, i'm seeing a lot less of that here and of course, it makes sense. It's the Dark Ages, so it's not like societies have built up huge cities. I mean, there is a London, but it's L-U-N-D-U-N, -U -U you know, Dark Ages London. So it's just a massive village 
when it comes down to it. Still do plenty of grinding for herbs. This one adds a few more RPG elements to it that the other ones oh. didn't have. It's, it has been moving more toward an action RPG over the last bunch, which I think is why I've been enjoying them more over the last few. Uh, when you pick up plants, they just heal you. That's all they are. So it's very mm-hmm. simplified in that regard. So yeah, there's not a lot of uh, like crafting going on. And they've really simplified the uh, items that you pick up. And that's been kind of... Uh, I think I liked Odyssey's version so far of items. But I have a feeling that that part of the game is yet to open up as well. Cool. What else you do this week, guys? I started the... Reboot of the Animaniacs on Hulu. And the first episode and a half so far, just as funny as the classic series. And very uh, self-deprecating as well as uh, self-referential as far as like why they've been off the air for 22 years, etc. And um, um, pre- pretty good at making uh, fun of social norms in the present day. Although they do flat out say several times, um, when so, they make certain jokes, they're like, folks, this was written in 2018, so we don't know if this is going to be funny when you actually see it. <laughs> so, um, okay. little things like that, but uh, very, very classic Animaniacs. Um, I do feel like what I've seen so far is it's more written for people in their 20, 30, and 40-somethings than, you know, kids, but uh, I'm enjoying it so far. And uh, I, I definitely recommend checking it out. Have they dropped all episodes at once, or is it something they're doing weekly? Yes, they uh, they did all the episodes at once. I believe there are 12 episodes, if I'm not mistaken, and they're all 30 minutes long, so not like a huge slog. Um, okay. It's, uh, it's of course, the, the Warner Brothers and Sister, um, as well as Pinky and the Brain, so far, at least of what I've seen. All right, so Slappy Squirrel isn't on there yet? No, I, I never really enjoyed Slappy. I thought that one, and Buttons and Mindy, my sister absolutely loved, but it just got, it was the same trick over and over again, and I just got bored with it after a while. It's like, okay, the kid's going to get in trouble, the dog's going to save him and not be appreciated, and there we go. Yeah, but to be but, fair, uh, isn't that what Looney Tunes has always kind of been? If you got a Sylvester and Tweety, you knew what you were getting. Sure, but at least they got creative with a lot of that stuff. I mean, I guess... They did get creative with some of the danger she would put herself in. But at the same time, like I said, it just it started to feel like they were beating a dead horse with it after a while. Like they were struggling to come up with new uh, new dangers to put this infant in or this toddler in rather and then uh, try to save her. And I just double checked. There's actually 13 episodes of Animaniacs on right now. And yes, they are all uh, 24 to 27 minutes. All right. Check it out. I highly recommend it if you have Hulu. I want to thank uh, the monkeys that have joined me on a little pinball adventure these past couple weeks on Pinball Effects 3, uh, especially, uh, of course, Jeff, uh, Jake, Leon, Chris. Uh, you all been making me work, and I, I, I've loved it. There, there's one score I, I can't beat yet, guys. Mm. Yeah. Le- Leon set a score on the Empire Strikes Back table. That so far I have not been able to conquer. And all those that did beat those original scores, like uh, Jeff had his uh, on, Jeff Harris had his on the Deadpool table. Uh, Chris had his microscope. He had his on 
the Boba Fett table, that those were a son of a bitch to beat. Uh, I, I eventually got there, but don't think I didn't have to work hard to get there. So kudos, gentlemen, on your scores. My goodness. Uh, but I, I've really been enjoying just doing, going on the pinball, seeing, okay, who's, where's everybody's scores at, and who can I try and beat today? And it, it's been fun. So thank you for, for playing along, those who have. I really appreciate it. That's very cool. Do, do you break out uh, the Tommy soundtrack when you get ready to go in on your tables? I uh, know, but my wife sang it to me a little bit, so that that kind of works. <laughs> oh, God. There you go. <laughs> uh, well, you know what? Just, really, just don't play the Elton John version. It's its own thing. It's not awful. Yes. Right. <laughs> wow. Wow. Uh, I do want to talk a little bit about red light, green light for a moment, gentlemen. Uh, for those who listened to our last episode, episode 563, uh, that's uh, the red ball episode, the one where Professor Biggs got uh, uncomfortably drunk. As the show progressed. As the show progressed. It, it, you could hear it along the way. It was, it was kind of a scientific study. We have been doing some more changes to red light, green light in order to gamify it a little bit more. So on that episode, we introduced that you have a limited amount of green lights that you have for all the pitches that we get. First off, I threw out to the monkeys uh, to ask them what we should call our organization, our production company that red lights and green lights all these shows. And a bunch of you threw out some great ones. Uh, we got so, so many suggestions for that, and I appreciate every single one of them. Uh, and before the beginning of the show, we, we talked about a whole bunch of them, uh, and we came down to, we think that uh, Done Right Productions is, is going to be the name of our company. I was pulling for Where's Andy Productions, because you never know where that kid is at. Right, it's a good one, but the thing is, Andy's going to be joining us before long, and so Where's Andy Production while Andy's sitting there is kind of weird. But I but will but, he, though? But I, I appreciate the suggestion. It's a good suggestion. I think that was Ferrar's suggestion. I appreciate it. Um, so we're going with done right. It's, it's, it trips off the tongue. It's uh, in joke with Geek Shock for years. So done right productions. Uh, and the reason why I wanted to get a production name in place this week is because this is the week that I wanted to introduce the other part of the gamification of red light, green light. This is the part where the shock monkeys themselves get involved in this. What I'm going to bring up has been suggested by two people. It was suggested a ways back by Pat DJ Croak, and it was also suggested to us by our own Major Meh, uh, independently of each other. And this is what I would like for you to do, uh, shock monkeys, if you do want to get involved. You see... I think that Dunright Productions needs to have a competitor. And, I'll, and, and I want the monkeys to name that competitor as well. It, I think naming it off that list, there's some good suggestions of the competitor's name. I would like the Shock Monkeys to propose their own pitches, fake pitches for fake shows that sound real, and send that to our comments at Ugly Couch Show email. What I would like to do is every time we do red light, green light, to put in one fake pitch that is written by a shock monkey. The Geek Shock hosts have a limited amount of red light, green lights, and if they green light a pitch 
that is made from this fake production company that are from suggestions of our own shock monkeys, then the point goes to the evil fake production company that's trying to destroy our done right productions. So this is what I need mm. you to do, shock monkeys. Uh, if you want, think of a pitch, and you can send as many as you like. Just try to make them sound as realistic as possible, because you know if they sound too fake, we're, we're not we're going to go. Okay, that's a fake one. Of course, I will know what they are because I'll be reading them off and sending them up. Uh, but the other guys won't, and I won't let on, and I'll as to which one is which. Hmm. So. If you want, that means I have to take my producer half off and not read the emails then for a while. Yes. And so in order to separate what those are, if you do email us a pitch, uh, please put in the subject headline pitches, bitches. And then I will know that that is a pitch or a set of pitches for future red light, green lights. So we will be doing adding that to the red light, green lights segment very soon. So please get involved, have some fun, write some crazy pitches and uh, see if you can fool us as to which ones uh, make the green light cut. So, mm -hmm. so that's up All to right. you monkeys. And, and, and of course how often we do that is based on how many pitches that we receive. Uh, so it's up to you. And again, if you want to send us a pitch, write to it in the subject pitches, bitches to comments at uglycouchshow.com. And uh, we'll, we'll make this red light, green light thing more of a game. Sounds like a plan. That sounds very interesting. Looking forward to that new, uh, well, the new format and that, uh, that new twist. That's going to be interesting. I think it sounds like a lot of fun. And it gets everybody involved. So it's a, yeah, it's, it's a win all the way around. Way to pull a Shyamalan there, uh, Todd. Right. <laughs> right. Geek shock. Forever, what a twist. Forever growing. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else you do this? Oh, I do want to throw out there also that the uh, Shock Monkeys Book Club, uh, the Geek Shock Book Club, uh, is choosing December's book right now. The nominations are going up, and we'll be putting together a poll very soon. And again, December is a graphic novel month, so only comic book suggestions will be accepted. Uh, we are still reading Citadel of the Fallen by J.R. Conkle. In the meantime, again, one of our very own Shock Monkeys, uh, I've I had I'm not finished with it yet, but I have been enjoying what I've read thus far. Yeah, I'm not finished either. And I do want to throw out there that the Shock Mon Monkey Gift Exchange, I think that still is open. That's on the Shock Monkeys layer if you want to be involved in that. Jake is uh, once again adding that up this year. So before we press on to uh any news, gentlemen, any other geeky things you want to talk about this week? Nothing, nothing I can think of right off the top of my head. I think that's it for me too. Okay. I will say I've continued watching The Good Place. I am now in season three of it. Um, yay! Yay! Yes, indeed, yay. Uh, it, it's hard to talk about because you don't want to spoil it for people that haven't watched it. It is one of those things right? you don't want to know anything about before you start watching it. I will say, though, uh, season three is losing a lot of steam for me. Ooh. Yes. Uh, mm. So uh, for those who do know The Good Place, um, I'm still watching it. I'm still enjoying it, but it's uh, not as enjoyable since the the good place switched around. Wow. Yeah. Um, I don't want to guess which episode you're on. I'm on. I'm on episode. If you're about I'm on, halfway through. I'm on season three, episode five. If you want to know specifics. Yeah, you're you're almost exactly halfway through, if I recall. And uh, 
it finishes out pretty good, and then season four is really good. So that's all I'm going to say. All right, and it's a four season show, so it's so yeah. it's it's moving fast. It's moving fast. You you literally only have about fifteen episodes left of the entire series. <laughs> that's a good point. That's a fine point indeed. All right, gentlemen, if you don't have anything else that you want to bring up, let's do some news you don't give a shit about. I bet, I bet that sounds amazing in an echo. That's that's going to be spot on. Very operatic, right? Oh, my goodness. You're super hot, Jeff. Uh-oh. Break, break. What did I do? Oh, boy. I that's what she said. You got your mic closer or yeah. something. Nope, I haven't adjusted anything. Wow, I don't know why you came in so hot. That's just the way you are, man. Just the way you are. News you don't give a shit about. Uh, the upcoming HBO Max spinoff series, uh, inspired by Matt Reeves' The Batman, has lost its showrunner already. Uh, writer Terrence Winter, who did Boardwalk Empire and The Wolf of Wall Street, has parted ways with the DC television project that will center on Gotham City Police Department. Uh, Winter's exit was reportedly due to creative differences, that umbrella Hollywood term that can refer to a number of different things. The spinoff show, which was the first announced over the summer, will, quote, build upon the motion pictures examination of the anatomy of corruption in Gotham City, ultimately launching a new Batman universe across multiple platforms, unquote. So, yes, uh, HBO Max's first television foray in of, of their own that they didn't bring over from the DC Universe streaming service uh, has already lost their showrunner for creative differences. And a, and a and a good showrunner at that, uh, Terrence Winter. Um, not not a good sign. I I really start to wonder sometimes whether whoever's in charge at Warner's of assigning who does what with the DC universe even knows what they're doing because it seems like when it's left up to the Berlanti Productions, they do a fantastic job. But anything else, it's like very hit or miss. It's like, that's pretty good, or that's just really terrible. It doesn't seem to be much in between on that. And, and of course, it doesn't help that it's based on a property that we don't really know, because they're basing this on the upcoming The Batman movie that they're working on instead of things that they've done right. thus far. So it's, so it's hard to say, you know, creative differences can mean so much right now. To me, I always think that uh, when I hear that is... All right, the people writing the checks hired this person on, and this person is being this person, and they don't want that person to be that person. They just want them to be a name to implement whatever ideas they have, and there you go. So you hire a creative person who's got ideas and is creative, but you know it's, it, it's nothing like what you really want to do. Uh, I don't know. Every time I hear creative dis differences, the the one like most dramatic example of that that didn't cause a person to leave was with the stories you hear about Star Trek Five, where Shatner wanted this you know kind of dramatic action style movie, and the studio wanted a comedy, and all the compromises he had to make. That he's like, now that I'm older, I would not have you know not have let them tell me that to put more comedy in the film. And just stuff like that. And then you have a film that, you know, has some really good parts, but also has some really groaner moments where you're just like, well, you know, it it's not a horrible movie all around, but it could have been a lot better. <laughs> yeah, you could say that again. 
<laughs> Although you can, and especially in that movie, you can you can see where the the interference was just causing problems. And I understand the studio. Star Trek Four is one of the most beloved Star Trek, probably the most beloved Star Trek movie out there by the general public. Yeah, it was the highest grossing from a general audience standpoint that they had ever done. Like people that were not Trek fans were coming in to yeah. watch it, which was something that they had wanted forever. So they were like, yes, do what you did again, but only in this movie. And he's like, that's not what this movie is. And yeah, they were like, but can you make it that way? <laughs> right. It's uh, Part four is about finding whales. Part five is about finding God. It's, it's a little heavier <laughs> subject matter. Exactly. The plot was not necessarily finding a being that's God was the end result. It was like finding that feeling of that inside yourself. And then it, it kind of falls short based on all the crap that, that got packed into it that he, you know, did and didn't want to do. And then the budget being cut for various things like costumes and, and effects. Yeah. Effects. especially. Although I will say that. Yeah. The big thing of them going, well, we know we did had ILM for the last two films, but what if we went with this cheaper company? <laughs> I will say, going back to this HBO Max spinoff Batman series, the series is something I'm excited about. It's I, I uh, Gotham PD was a fantastic comic book. You know, seeing the cops on the ground having to deal with these superpowered supervillains and the superpowered people trying to fight them is is an interesting perspective to take, and I think it really works well for a TV show. Uh, I mean, they tr they did that a little bit with. Uh, uh, the Gotham TV series that was out for a few seasons. And, and it kind of worked in some ways in that regard, but it did it without teeth. And so that's why I think this HBO Max, the Batman thing, has a lot of potential. But boy, it's concerning when, I mean, Terrence Winter, Boardwalk Empire, Wolf of Wall Street, that's that's a good kind yeah. of on the ground kind of guy you want in charge of that sort of project yeah exactly it could be something as simple as maybe he wanted a slightly darker tone and they didn't i mean sometimes stuff as simple as that with the whole creative differences thing and sometimes it's it's something huge like you know they have a completely different idea than the studio does and then mutually agree to part ways i mean who knows is it such just a broadly defined term in the in the industry that it's it could be something minor it could be something major kirsten any thoughts on this for this kind of a, a bizarre cop show essentially i think he's he's a great great choice for it so it's disappointing to hear that he's he's out well, next, dudes don't give a shit about Sonic the Hedgehog director Jeff Fowler and Bad Boys for Life screenwriter Chris Bremer are teaming up for a reboot of the Pink Panther franchise uh, with a genre twist, uh, combining elements from the original films that starred Peter Sellers in the famous role of the inept Inspector Jacques Clouseau. Uh, the new film will center around a, quote, smooth operating inspector who, after a traumatic event, gains a pink panther as an imaginary friend. Uh, the big cat isn't capable of speech, but aids the main character in solving crimes. Uh, Sellers played Clouseau across six Pink Panther-related films, which helped spawn a number of animated spin-offs for the famous Animated Panther featuring it, featured in the opening credits. Uh, three movies were produced after Sellers' death in 1980, 
and the cinematic series was rebooted in 2006 with Steve Martin portraying Clouseau. He reprised the role for a 2009 sequel. Uh, so, uh, Pink Panther getting a reboot with the actual Pink Panther in it as a animated imaginary friend? Uh, I don't even know where to start <laughs> on this one. Why do we need an, yet another reboot of this? I mean, even Steve Martin, who is somebody that I that I revere. I mean, he's an amazing actor, writer, director. I mean, the list goes on. Trying to do two and did two movies as a reboot as Clouseau. And, you know, even somebody with his extraordinary talent couldn't get audiences to go see the film. And there's a reason why they're not great films. I mean, I watched the first one all. I never f- finished the second one. I watched the first one all the way through, and I remember maybe laughing once. The rest, it was just all groans. And now you're going to do it again, but with a live action mixed with an animated character. I that's so hit or miss in this day and age, anyway. So it's like, why are you going to artificially handicap yourself right out the gate? It's weird, especially the whole idea of him being a smooth operator. <laughs> uh, it's just like you almost get the impression that this is one of those, uh, like somebody maybe thought, I, I want to do happy, but I want to do happy where the guy has got his shit together and he gets a, a, an imaginary friend who helps him solve crime. So it's, it's just not happy that it's in the gutter. And then someone's like, what if the imaginary friend is a pink panther? And, you know, then it's like, okay, and there you go. You know, it's just uh, Clouseau as, as the, the inept who, uh, guy who's successful in spite of himself is, uh, is iconic. And it's just, this is a, I don't know, that's kind of a big turn. Uh, Alan Arkin did a uh, a uh, uh, Pink Panther. Yes, uh, yes, he did. Movie as well, and you know, it, it's just Sellers. He created it. I uh, yeah, all right. And thank you well, for bringing up Happy Kirsten because that's a a, a a perfect example of CG and or animation and live action done well together. That's yeah. a great series. It was done right. <laughs> Great. You made me laugh <laughs> in the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, you know, it, and it's funny because you think about it, the, the basics, um, some kind of weird spirit animal helping a cop uh, that foundationally, they're this exact same movie, but it literally does sound like, what if we did happy but it's not down in the gutter, dirty with drugs and sex and all that. It's something you can bring the kids to. I well, <laughs> you know, who knows? I mean, imagine it might it, be. the directors of Sonic the Hedgehog, uh, but the writer is Bad Boys for Life. So, <laughs> it's, yeah, could go either way. Yeah, it sounds like it's a little more. It sounds like a. Can we get a kid friendly happy? Sure, but what if Happy is a pink panther? Uh, yeah, but didn't, there you go. Happy didn't make it past a first season, did it? Yeah, it got a second it's two season. Two seasons. Oh, okay. 
Although the the second season, a lot of people say it. Uh, I haven't watched it, but a lot of people say it. It it quickly fell. Right. It's like it shot its wide. I liked it season. a lot. Second okay. season is good. All right. I'm gonna. It's re- a little oh, darker in the second season. Darker than the first season. Darker and a little more twisted. I, I'd say more twisted than Jesus. dark, but it's a little darker. Well, yeah. my God. So maybe that's why people didn't like it, because even the character of Happy starts to take on some some twisted characteristics, and him himself is is shocked by the fact that that it's they're starting to adopt more of each other's personalities in it. Hmm. I don't want to say too much more since you haven't seen it. Yeah. Okay. Maybe it will be another Rocky and Bullwinkle live action because that one was just a, a dumpster fire. Oof. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to reveal something that's going to be a surprise to everyone. I have never seen a Pink Panther movie. Yeah, shocking. Yeah, I want to be surprised, but ho-hum. But but because of that, I think I, I learned something this week in researching this story. Uh, I didn't realize that the Pink Panther as an animated character did not exist before that first Pink Panther movie. That that animated mm-hmm. character was created just for the opening credits of that movie. Right. I honestly, thought, I didn't know that either. I honestly thought that the Pink Panther was something that like, dated back to the forties or something. Oh wow! No, yeah. And then they're like, then they just used the Pink Panther as you know the name, the diamond of the first one, and so on, because they had the rights to it, and they used the Pink Panther animation character on the opening screen just to kind of synergistic that a bit. But no, that movie existed before the animated character. Yeah. Yeah. And then they created in the, uh, uh, like a few years later, the animated series. Yeah. Blew my freaking mind. Which was a good series. You, you, you should also, if you get a chance, uh, watch the Peter Sellers biopic, uh, starring Jeffrey Rush. Oh, that's a hell of a movie. And it talks a lot about, uh, the genesis of, uh, Pink Panther and, uh, Sellers life in general, um, his, uh, interaction with Blake Edwards, who I believe, if I'm remembering right, was played by John Lithgow. But but they talk about everything, Casino Royale, the works. Because didn't uh, Sellers and Edwards have kind of a love-hate relationship? Like, they had a good relationship, but they also had a lot of friction, too, as I recall. Yeah, yeah. I I haven't seen a Pink Panther movie yet. I don't think this one will be my first. Uh, Well, that's good, probably. I do recommend the first three Peter Sellers Pink Panther films. Mm-hmm. After that, it gets, I mean, me, to, to me, it gets a little kind of eh. But yeah. uh, I will warn you, they're very dated. Well, it is from so. the 60s. Yeah. And since you're so easily offended, Todd, we just want you <laughs> ready and, you know. My, my soft lefty snowflake heart can't handle it. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Be in your safe space when you watch it. Duly noted. I'm, I'm there anyway. <laughs> News you don't give a shit about. Uh, Stephen Capel Jr., uh, director of Creed 2, has been tapped to take the reins on a new Transformers movie. After five hugely successful films, the Transformers property has grossed a combined $4 billion worldwide under a supervision of blockbuster filmmaker Michael Bay. With Bay's exit from the series after 2017's Transformers The Last Night, the marketeers at Paramount and Hasbro decided to revamp its IP with original material. So, studio execs put together a writer's room to rethink the universe out 
and out of that came 2018's Bumblebee. This will be the next feature from that writer's room. Good. <laughs> <laughs> now, Jeff, I remember you liked, I liked Bumblebee. Bumblebee. Uh, would you say, Jeff, yeah. that Bumblebee is the best Transformers movie that has ever come out? Of the live action, yes. Ah, wow. I still have a soft spot for the original animated film, which is still going to be my number one. But, uh, but yeah, I think Bumblebee, I mean, it had everything that you don't get in the, in the, the big Michael Bay features. There's character development. There's characters that you actually care what happens to you, to them rather. And you actually feel a sense of danger for these characters. Like you, you are afraid for them in several parts as opposed to going, oh, there's no way there's anything going to happen to this character. So you just go into it with that sense of, in the Bay films of like, well, I know this character is here at the beginning. They're going to be here at the end. Everything else is just window dressing. Uh, but there was an actual story and a script that progressed in the Bumblebee film. That an, an actual sense of danger, maybe? The... Yes, absolutely. You're right, because that is so, missing in those yeah. Bay films. <laughs> All right, well, Jeff's on board. And you know what? Uh-huh. I still haven't seen Bumblebee, but because of Jeff's excitement of it, I've already kind of given it a pass that it's probably pretty decent. Yeah. So I think it's on HBO Max right now. I'm going to rush right out and watch it, Jeff. I'm going to make that the next thing I watch. Not you really at should. All. You can bank on it. You can, you can, you can put that in the, I'm going to treat it like I've treated crawl. <laughs> Actually, I take that back. It's on Hulu right now. It's on oh, Hulu. Oh, so. great. I can't oh, wait to watch that with commercials. For the feature leg films, they throw the commercial at the beginning. So all you have to do is wait through that, and then they don't interrupt the film. So. Oh, I did not know that. That actually is very good to know. Yeah, so it's only the TV shows, like the, the major series where they have the built-in commercial breaks. And the last one I watched on there had like six of them. Oh, it's, In fact, it's, watching Animaniacs, they had like five commercial breaks, and I was like, ugh. I would have watched more Woke if it weren't for the commercials you can't skip. And the same commercials over and over again. It's just, it's maddening. And especially if like you, you miss something when it comes right out of commercial break and you rewind it like 10 seconds, it forces you to go through the 80 something seconds of commercials again. Pisses yes. me off. Yeah. It's, it's, I, I don't like Hulu and I'm not willing to spend the extra money to get rid of the commercials. Kind of like YouTube. It's, it's the same thing. It's right. that YouTube has all those commercial breaks in there. Now they're, they're trying to annoy you into paying them money to stop it. It's the kid on the playground that is slapping you and says he won't stop until you pay him. If I didn't, actually, you and I both, because we both have Sprint, because that's the only reason I have it for free. If I had to pay for it, I would maybe pay the extra for the commercial free, but I don't know that I would pay for that service with as little on there as I watch. Sure. And and they, they keep trying. I mean, you know, Castle Rock is on there. They've already canceled it after two seasons, but... You know, right. it's, it's something I would watch if it weren't for all the darn commercials. I mean, they have a few good originals, like uh, Palm Springs was really good. And oh, that's right. That's that was there. another one that, you know, once you got through the 90-second the commercial that starts at the very beginning, there were no more commercials throughout the presentation. So I mean, that I can live with. But anyway. Well, we got one more news you don't give a shit about. A fifth film in the Predator series is in the works, with 10 Cloverfield Lane director Dan Trachtenberg in charge. The plot is a secret for now. Yay, secret Predator plot. 
uh, but will reportedly not pick up where the last entry in the series, 2018's The Predator, left off. The script is being written by Patrick Ason, who has worked on such series as Jack Ryan, Kingdom, and Treadstone, three series I have not watched yet. Uh, the Predator was written and directed by Shane Black, that's the last movie, who also had an acting role in the original 87 film starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. But yeah. Black's take on the franchise was a letdown in the box office, earning just $51 million in the U.S. and a total of $160 million against a budget of nearly $90 million. Uh, other entries in the official series include Predator 2 from 1990 and Predators from 2010. Uh, the Predator franchise is one of several sci-fi properties that De Disney inherited following its purchase of 20th Century Fox. Others include the Alien franchise and the Planet of the Apes series. Trachtenberg uh, scored a hit with 10 Cloverfield Lane back in 2016 and has also directed episodes of Black Mirror and The Boys in recent years. So, gentlemen, we're getting a, another Predator movie, but this time by Disney. Well, there you, you go. Know, I look forward to seeing Predator all over Disneyland and Disney World. And <laughs> I'm sure they'll put it under the 20th century moniker because mm -hmm. that, that's 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 their. Remember when they do what was it? Was it not, not Lightstorm? What was the name of Disney's other movie company when they wanted to release something, but not under the family friendly Disney name? Touchstone. Yeah, I think that was it. I think it's Touchstone. Okay. So this is, is uh, this is the I new touch new Touchstone. Yes, yes Touchstone, Touchstone and Hollywood Pictures, Pictures were the two. two. Oh, Hollywood Pictures. Yeah, that's right. When I worked for Disney, they made sure that we knew that, so that if anybody ever asked us questions while we were on the phone, that we could not say that it wasn't a Disney property, but say, "Oh, that's a Hollywood Pictures film," and or that's a Touchstone Pictures film, and then you could direct them to the other catalogs that would have those films in them. Todd, you're going to be happy to know that I actually got a bit of the skinny on the plot for the next Predator movie. Oh, have you now? I, oh, actually, I actually heard something. Oh, yeah, please, please do um, tell. It, it takes place in 2016. And during the election, Hillary has to fight a super Predator. Oh, Jesus Christ. Oh, no. The, you I know what? You. Of all the places I thought that might go, that is certainly not one of them. Oh, my <laughs> God. Uh, he was, at first, he was like, it's 2016. I was like, oh, that's when he, uh, the director made Cloverfield Lane. So I'm like, oh, maybe he's hearkening back to that. But no, of course not. That's, yeah. that's not the most yeah. important thing that happened in 2016. Of course not. Yeah, you, you overthought that one. I did. <laughs> I did. I, I will say this. I do have to say. Okay, good, Jeff. You say your thing. I, fe I, was, I was just saying, uh, I feel like with Predator, it's the same way I feel about the Alien franchise. It's like, just just let it be. I mean, the films aren't getting any better, the sequels. It's always diminishing returns. It's just. It... We lost Jeff. We did. We you, lost Jeff. You see, the you Super Predators got him. They did. Yeah, we lost Jeff there. In the middle of his same sentence. So, so what, what part, part didn't you hear me say? I don't know. I got, I got, I got so freaked out when your voice dropped. <laughs> what part? I meant, what part did you hear me say? Yeah. <laughs> Jeff, I got so freaked out when I, your voice dropped out in the recording that I'm like, um, I don't know where you were at. Diminishing uh, return. I just like, it's diminishing return. So just stop. That's it. It's done. It's over. Let it be. Whisper words of wisdom. You know, I, I very nice. There's a little part of me that holds hope that, 
somebody will will figure this out. I, I will say 10 Cloverfield Lane uh, is one of the best science fiction films of 2016. I, I absolutely yes. love that movie. And that movie did surprising things that I did not expect. So with Trachtenberg in charge, uh, I, I, I have a little bit of hope, a seed, a seed of hope that it could be good. How dare you? <laughs> wow. How dare you have hope in this day and age? <laughs> That's crazy, man. And speaking of hope, let's get into some Weekend Geek. Yay. Yeah, I'd say Woo-hoo. a big way. Last week, there wasn't much in the way of new news. This week, there's lots of news. And, and, oh, some, boy. and some really good news. And I really want to start with this first one because it is making me so happy. It's a, it's a big so chunk of happy. we would give a shit about. Uh, yes, or also known as Weekend Geek. That's where, where we're at. <laughs> uh, Warner Brothers <laughs> will have a dual rollout for Wonder Woman 1984. Uh, Patty Jenkins' long-awaited DC blockbuster will debut in theaters and HBO Max on Friday, December 25th. The film will be available for a month on the streaming service at no additional cost to subscribers. In international markets where HBO Max isn't available, the film will open on December 16th. Quote, The time has come, Jenkins wrote in a statement. At some point, you have to choose to share any love and joy you have to give over everything else. We love our movie as we love our fans, so we truly hope that our film brings a little bit of joy to all of you this holiday season. Watch it in theaters where it is made safe to do so and available in the safety of your home on HBO Max where it is not. Happy holidays to all of you. We hope you enjoy our film as much as we enjoyed making it. Unquote. This is joyous news in a very troubled time. Oh, yeah. yeah. I was actually watching Hulu or uh, HBO Max, rather, when that trailer dropped. Like, I was just sitting there going through the menu and I hit the back button and it said, just posted. And I'm like, what do you mean, just posted? So I played it and I'm watching it through. And at the very end was the tag that you know, available in theaters and on HBO plus. And I'm like, Oh great. This is going to be another one of those Disney where, uh, things where you got to pay extra and that Nope. At no additional charge. And I was shocked. Yeah. I was expecting it to be. Yeah. Like, like Mulan where yeah, it's coming to HBO max, but you have to pay 30 bucks to watch it. Something along yeah. those lines, which I might have paid 30 bucks to watch it. Well, you know what guys, I'm excited enough to see this movie that, Providing civilization hasn't collapsed by Christmas. Uh, if I had the money, I would talk to you, you know, a few people about doing one of those theater rental things and just get together 150 okay. bucks and, and a bunch of us just watch the movie in the theater. Because uh, right. I'd be willing to do that because I'm, I'm excited enough about this movie. But as it stands now... It'll probably be at home, and thank you, thank you, Disney, HBO Max for, or you know, Warner Brothers, HBO Max for uh, letting us not have to pay through the ass for it. It is truly a gift. I mean, don't get me wrong; they're they're hoping they'll get more HBO Max subscribers, and they probably will because yeah. of this decision. At the same time, to go this route instead of just having a separate VOD, video on demand thing like all the other time of release films for home, it seems like a kind of generous 
Well, I mean, it does seem like the studios are banking more on their individual streaming services now. HBO, or I should say Warner's with HBO Max, um, Paramount with the upcoming rebranding of CBS All Access to Paramount Plus, and then Disney with Disney Plus. I mean, it just seems like, you know, they still want to have those partnerships with the theaters, but they also want to be able to have alternatives for emergencies just such as what we're going through right now. Now, I wonder, I wonder what the numbers were, because because Mulan, didn't Mulan actually do okay in terms of yes. pay? Yeah. And I wonder if Disney actually, if there was like an insider who maybe revealed, maybe Disney got some subscriber pickups that they were, they were happy with the number. And, and maybe that factored into HBO's calculus. Like, you know, it looks like you could pick up some subscribers if you do this. So let's do it for free and see what happens. So good on you. Good on you, HBO Max Warner, for, for taking one for the team in this trying yeah. time. Yeah, especially especially the Wonder Woman sequel. Yeah, that's The that's, best, that's the best DC movie, you know, sequel. Or sequel to the best DC movie, I should say. Proven. Yeah proven track record and they're they're doing this that's uh that's rather bold in this cynical cynical world <laughs> i mean so so far wonder woman and aquaman were my two favorites of the the current run of hbo films or, or hbo films dc <laughs> films <laughs> Universal Pictures and the Cinemark Theater chain have reached an agreement to shorten the theatrical release window for new movies so they can move more quickly to premium video on demand. Uh, the deal is the second that Universal has struck following its landmark agreement earlier than the year with AMC theaters. The deal with AMC gave Universal the option to move new movies to digital on demand services 17 days after their theatrical release instead of the typical 75 to 90 days of the pre-COVID era. The studio agreed to share on-demand profits with AMC as well. Uh, the new bargain with Cinemark is somewhat different, and it's understood that the same terms will be made to AMC. Under the new deal, any movie that earns more than $50 million at the box office must stay on screens for at least 31 days, while all titles performing below that benchmark can stick to the 17-day window and move to digital at Universal's discretion. Theaters mm. can continue to run them as well. Uh, Universal is the only major studio that has struck such an agreement with two of the three biggest exhibitors, with Regal being the only holdout. Uh, gentlemen, what do you what do you think of this decision? That's interesting. I mean, the shortening the window was always a a goal of a lot of the studios, but that was a way to keep their theater partners happy. The fact that they've got two of the bigger chains now agreeing to these terms is, you know, very interesting to say the least. I mean, we'll see how it goes, but I did find the stipulation of the over under 50 million quite interesting. Yeah, um, and it, it makes me wonder if that's yeah. something that might stick when this is all over with, or will they throw this all away once COVID is and people are going back to movie theaters en masse? Uh, or is this something that's going to be with us for time as we know it? I wonder. Probably be whatever makes them more money. Of course, and and uh, frankly, well, this who them? Who them though? The studio, the, movies, the, movies, the studios. Yeah, 
the studios couldn't give two shakes about the theaters overall when it in comparison. Uh, but it, yeah, having that fifty million dollar threshold for box office, and then if the movie makes that, then it gets to stay on screen for thirty-one days with no home viewing. That's something that could cause some some problems in the post-COVID era. Should that stay in place? I mean, because you might have this massive movie that bombs in the box office, makes forty million dollars, and then all of a sudden seventeen late. 17 days later, they can throw it to home and then the movie theaters, why would they even keep that at that point? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're, we're seeing some changes that yeah. are long-term, I think, in all of this. It's a different world moving forward. I mean, who knows what's going to happen? Yeah, uh, time will certainly tell, but uh, it's, uh, I think this is a harbinger of things to come. HBO Max has said that it has ordered a four-part limited series based on the comic book DMZ, which tells the story of a futuristic second American Civil War. This is a show that we had on Red Light, Green Light, and we did green light it. Uh, Roberto Patino from Westworld, who developed the series with director Ava DuVernay and scripted the plot, is set to showrun and write. Uh, DMZ is named for the demilitarized zone that is the alt-future island of Manhattan, which has been left, quote, destroyed and isolated from the rest of the world, unquote, amid a new civil war in the near future. The series does not have a release date yet. So, yes, DMZ not only got picked up, but it's uh, HBO Max picked up and of only four parts, which means they're not going to. uh, I mean, maybe this is testing the waters, right? Uh, four-part limited series right. to tell one story because DMZ ran for at least 30 issues, probably a lot more. I mean, I like the talent that's attached to it, so I'm definitely interested in checking it out. One of the guys behind Westworld is in charge, so it's mm-hmm. it's got pedigree. Yeah, Ava DuVernay is a great director, so... So we those who, who are excited for DMZ, it's official. HBO is getting it. Well, HBO Max is getting it. We have to differentiate that now. A legendary lost sci-fi anthology described as the, quote, great white whale of science fiction finally looks like it will be published nearly 50 years after missing its original release date. The book is called The Last Dangerous Visions, and it was meant as a capper of a groundbreaking trilogy of books featuring a who's who of both established established authors and of then what were one of the most promising and visionary new names in the field. Uh, the first two collections, 1968's Dangerous Visions and 1972's, again, Dangerous Visions, were edited by the late Harlan Ellison. Ellison did announce that the third edition would come out and collected stories for it, but for reasons never truly made clear, it was never published. And Ellison drew fire over the years for holding on to a number of stories for more than 40 years. Screenwriter, mm. showrunner, and author J. Michael Straczynski, the creator of Babylon 5, named the executor of Ellison's estate after the death of Ellison's wife Susan earlier this year, has launched a Patreon account where he is raising funds to help with the publication of The Last Dangerous Visions at long last. Uh, The book will, according to Straczynski, contain many of the original stories, as well as new ones from sci-fi authors of today. It will also feature one final work from Ellison himself that has never before been published. Straczynski also promised an account of why the book was delayed so long, calling it, quote, a story known only to a very few people, unquote. 
Straczynski intends to use the Patreon fund and his own money to pay for the stories up front and will sell the book to a publisher later next year. I've heard of uh, Dangerous Visions kind of in the ether, uh, but I've never known about this missing anthology book for 50 years. This is the first time hearing about it, but now that I've heard about it, I'm kind of excited about it. I, I of course, had uh, had heard of it. I uh, had the Dangerous Visions anthologies, and him sitting on the third one, I'm, that's actually the most interesting part of that book I'll be interested in reading in terms of finding out what exactly had happened. I'm glad that uh, Straczynski is uh, executor because uh, there, you know, Ellison frustrated a few people towards the end there with uh, not doing stuff and, and stuff like that. And so I think you can expect a, a responsible but uh, open uh, approach to his work, you know, coming out uh, now, which is a good thing, I think. Yeah, yeah. Ellison kind of became a bit of a curmudgeon there towards his last. Well, actually, he kind of always was. Yeah, he always and, uh, was. But but he curmudgeoned the curmudgeon when. Uh, I mean, it's funny because he's such a talented writer, but at the same time, he was overly passionate about certain things that would get him into trouble, and he would burn bridges and yeah. just overreact to people's slights of his work, and you know, he just. He, he was would never cut off a, contact with he was publishers, etc. I mean, never afraid yeah, to ahead. rub people the wrong way. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah. exactly. But again, it doesn't, you know, say that he wasn't a very talented writer because he was just not a great personable person. <laughs> uh, Bob Berger's writers, executive producers Wendy Molyneux and Lizzie Molyneux Logan have been tapped to pen Deadpool three. Over the last month, Ryan Reynolds has reportedly been meeting with a string of writers to hear their pitches for a new Deadpool movie. Quote, in the end, the studio and Reynolds saw the sisters take as the perfect fit for what they wanted, writes Deadline. Uh, Zombieland and six underground scribes, Rhett Reese and Paul Wernick, co-wrote the first two films with Reynolds receiving credit on the 2018 sequel. Uh, Disney's Marvel Studios will be the entity behind the next movie. However, given the fact that Deadpool is an R-rated character who revels in violence and swearing, the film is most likely going to be released under the 20th Century Studios banner as well. This is a really good fit. I think that the humor of Bob's Burgers is really kind of spot on with the Deadpool humor as well. It doesn't have that talky to the camera kind of thing, but it is, it knows what it is in a self-referential to itself. Yeah, and I think... Take uh, your word uh, for it. <laughs> I know you're no fan, Jeff. I think... I just, I could never get into Bob's Burgers. I've tried. I've actually tried on multiple occasions, and I just, I don't find the humor in it that everyone else does. And I know that not only you, Todd, but there's a lot of people that like that show, and I just, I don't find it amusing i just don't and i can't tell you exactly why um i think reynolds involvement is actually a very good sign i think frankly right now reynolds is proving to be the very best steward of his own particular superhero character uh eclipsing even uh, christopher reeve and uh, reeves and uh actually or reeve uh uh jesus 
Professor Biggs is crapping himself right now. I, I love but, that. That's what I love. That's what stopped you in this whole thing. It's not that you might have mispronounced Reeves. <laughs> I know that you're concerned that what Biggs will think about it. Oh yeah, he's just. I like, can. Oh! I can. I can hear him now, Kirsten. George Reeves, Christopher Reeve. George yeah. Reeves, Christopher Reeve. Yeah, I hear it. I hear that. I can almost remember it. So, but anyway, Reynolds is, <laughs> is just proving to be a great steward for the character, and I think, I think that uh, the departure of the other uh, writers is is kind of mitigated by the fact that uh, Reynolds is still there and has his input. So. I'm I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, because he he absolutely praised the writers for making that film. When he would talk about it, he never gave himself any credit for it. He always specifically said it was the writers that made this film, these films, what they are. So um, I'm hoping he feels that way about these this current set of writers as well, and uh, and we'll get a good film out of it. A copy of Detective Comics number 27, featuring the first appearance of Batman, sold at auction for $1.5 million this week. This beats the previous record for the 1939 issue, set a decade ago when a copy went for $1.75 million. I'm sorry, $1.075 million. That would have beat the $1.5. Yeah, really. Uh, uh, Both copies were handled by Heritage Auctions. The comic was not restored but still categorized as fine-slash-very-fine 7.0 quality by the CGC. That's just one of two 7.0 copies in existence, with only five other unrestored comic books graded higher since CGC began rating them. While this copy did go for a record price, it's still not the most expensive comic ever sold. That honor still belongs to a 9.0 copy of Action Comics number 1 featuring the debut of Superman, which sold in 2014 for $3.2 million on eBay. On eBay. It sold for $3.2 million on eBay. It's not even an auction house. That is, that's not only is that mind-blowing, but that, that sale went through and it wasn't some kind of troll thing. Well, you know, Nicholas yeah. Cage is making good mo- money off of those movies he's doing, so he could get his uh, comic book collection started up again. <laughs> uh, not a lot to say about this one really but i always find it interesting when one of these old comics go for such a massive amount mm-hmm. Let, let's face it when it comes to the overall bulk of the comics they're they're not worth a whole lot that that's it like beanie babies that's something that bottomed out heavily when it bottomed out but there are comics back to a certain point that are worth quite a bit if you happen to have got them at the right time and the even in the 80s and 90s there are ones that are like oh surprise that's worth a mint yeah and there are always ones that were in limited distribution or limited numbers you know I, not like today where they make hundreds of thousands of each one on this on the low side well they made a lot of them they made millions back in the day but nobody kept them they were recycled when That's you true had too. The, the, the war and people did paper recycling uh, drives and stuff. So, I mean, that's the whole reason why the old comics are rare, much less comics in pristine condition. So that's the, you know, it, it is funny to I watch um, comic prices go up and down 
depending on what movies are going out, you know, like whenever an X-Men movie comes out, you'll, you'll see X-Men comics on the walls in comic shops. Their, their prices actually climb a bit. It is, and always kind of has been its own version of a stock exchange. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have heard, but never seen any confirmation about this of like in the forties that several times when they were building or uh, rebuilding houses uh, during World War II that old comics were used as insulation in the walls and that occasionally when an old house is remodeled in the modern day and age, they find some of these comics in there. But I don't know how true that story is or if it's just an urban legend, but no, no, it would say speak to the point. It's absolutely true. We, we, we reported on one of them on Geek Shock like six years ago where someone pulled an Action Comics number one out of a wall. It was in horrible shape, of course, but it was an right. Action Comics number one. Uh, moving on, Henry Joost and Ariel Schulman, the directing duo behind Netflix Jamie Foxx-led superhero film Project Power, has signed on to helm Nemesis a Warner Brothers long-awaited adaptation of the comic book series created by Kingsman scribe Mark Miller and artist Steve McNiven. The premise revolves around an idealistic tech inventor whose world comes crashing down when he's framed for his wife's murder and discovers the deeply rooted duplicitous... I, I can't even read my own fancy words. Duplicitous power structure that courses through the country. Amidst his anger and pain, he is recruited by the Nemesis, a masked vigilante who is determined to take down the corrupt system that has burned him in the same way. Uh, Joost and Schulman got their break in Hollywood after making their documentary Catfish into a successful MTV series. They went on to direct Paranormal Activity 3, Paranormal Activity 4, and Nerve before landing the Project Power assignment. Miller is the comic book mastermind behind the Kingsman series, as well as such classics as Wolverine, Old Man Logan, and Captain America Civil War. So yes, Project Power is coming to Netflix. That sounds kind of cool, actually. I mean, it's got a bit of a fugitive vibe there at the beginning of your description. <laughs> I wanted to shout, I didn't kill my wife! But uh, It was the one you know, man. It sounds interesting. And lastly, a collection of previously unpublished writings by, J, by author J.R.R. Tolkien will be published next summer. The collection includes essays by Tolkien on a number of topics related to his fictional realm of Middle-earth. Among them will be musings on elvish immortality and reincarnation, the nature of godlike spirits of Middle-earth known as the Valar, and the lands of, and beasts of Numenor, the geography of the kingdom of Gondor, and whether hobbits and elves could grow beards. Uh, the book is titled The Nature <laughs> of Middle-Earth and will be published next June by HarperCollins. Uh, Tolkien was an English professor when he published The Hobbit in 1937, followed by the massive The Lord of the Rings in three volumes in 1954 and 1955. Although he published little else about the realm of Middle-Earth before his death in 1973, he continued to write about the fantastical world until his final years. That'll be interesting. I mean, hey, Kirsten, did you ever see that uh, movie last year about Tolkien that had uh, Nicholas Holt as Tolkien? I think it's still on Netflix. I still think I think it still pops up uh, in the recommendations, and I really should watch that. It's kind of delinquent of me to have not, but I was aware of it. Did you I see just, it? I, I've seen parts of it. I really need to sit down and go through it again, but I was just curious because you know a lot more about Tolkien than I do, and 
yeah. I just was uh, interested in your take on it. But uh, oh, you know, no, I, I'm I'm looking forward to uh, to actually uh, to actually seeing that. Um, this uh, this also make kind of makes sense. It's really was something, but Christopher Tolkien, his son, really held on to shit and really played a lot of things close to the vest. Um, and so I think we can maybe expect a bit of loosening up um, on what uh, the estate will uh, will or will not let, you know, happen or be published and stuff. And right. some interesting things can happen. So... And that's it for the news, and that's it for our little uh, experiments in the foray of recording the show over the internet. I know there's been some hiccups, and this show might not have been the easiest to listen with the echo in there. Hopefully, I will have a solution for that next week. Uh, but I appreciate you joining us on this journey. And uh, again, if there are any pitches that you want to send for future red light, green lights, uh, send them to comments at uglycouchshow.com. And until next week, I am Master Torgo. 80s Jeff. Commander K. 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 And we'll talk to you next week in Geek. Good job, gentlemen. I really want to amp up the echo and go, experiments in podcasting. <laughs> we still recording, Todd? Yeah. Okay, good. Because I, I, want, I do want to throw out there real quick. Thank you, everybody. Who uh, helped helped uh, help me out on the GoFundMe that I posted uh, in the lair? It wasn't an easy thing to do because uh, um, I was really hoping that that things would finally loosen up. But uh, I'm still uh, making my way through the labyrinth of unemployment, and I I just so the help was the help was definitely very. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, guys. I really do appreciate it and appreciate you guys. Nobody is more awesome than the Shock Monkeys, through and through. Yeah. You guys are amazing. Very true. I have one last thing to say as well, if I may. Oh, go right ahead, Jeff. Um, Please, 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 everyone out there, stay at home as much as possible. Wear your masks. Be safe. I have two more friends that came down with COVID, and <clears throat> it's... It's not a political thing, people. It's a health and safety thing. Please protect yourself and others by practicing safe habits when you're out and about. Stay home if you can. Limit your amount of time outside of the house. It's, it's only going to get worse over the winter. And yes, there's some hope on the horizon with these vaccines that are starting to come out, but the rest of the population's not going to get it till probably halfway through next year. So please be vigilant. I really don't want to lose any more people. Except for you, Mandy. You That's live in all. Australia. You guys got that figured out a little bit. So you go enjoy yourself. But the rest of us, yeah. Yeah. yeah stay indoors. Yeah. yeah, Mandy, you have a great Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah.